0: Welcome to episode 44 of Health Unchained. Today I feature another startup trying to leverage blockchain technology as a tool for better provider credentialing. I spoke with Jared Taylor, co-founder of BlockHealth, about how they began and what they intend to do as they wrap up development of their first minimal viable product. I enjoyed my conversation with Jared and I hope you do too. If you're new to the healthcare blockchain space, you should really check out the show notes for a link to a Udemy course for non-technical healthcare professionals. Don't hesitate to sign up. There is real value in understanding blockchain's potential impact in healthcare. Use my special discount promo code DOGUM2019 for 75% off the regular price of the course. And remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now with that said, let's get on to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare, These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? blockchain. Blockchain. blockchain? The
1: doctor will see you now.
0: Welcome to Health Unchained. Today we have our guest, Jared Taylor, CEO of Block Health. Uh, And we're here in the offices of Block Health, and we're going to be talking about provider credentialing. And what they're working on here. Um, so, Jared, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself yeah, and thank you kind you so of much. telling the audience, you know, your background and how you got to start Block Health.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan. Um, recently started listening to it, and uh, it's, it's great that you're you're based in Boston as well, and we're able to do this face to face. So, uh, thanks again. So, I've always been very entrepreneurial. Started at a young age for me. Uh, Started with some pretty silly business ideas. First business was selling crickets, which I collected. Uh, was able to sell because family members were really supportive.
0: <laughs> Hold on. So who, I'm curious. Who would buy these crickets? Because I used to buy crickets because oh. <laughs> I had a chameleon. So okay. I had like a reason to buy crickets.
1: People that didn't really know what type of crickets their reptiles should be eating. Because many like... So I had a relative that had... Uh, Geckos, So we sold them these crickets and they wouldn't eat those crickets because the crickets you'll find outside are much larger than the crickets that you, they'll sell at the pet store for them to actually eat. So um, that business didn't last too long, uh, but it was my first kind of dive. That was at like 9, 10 years old wow. uh, into entrepreneurship. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was, it was fun while it lasted. It's funny because I won't even touch bugs now and I was grabbing them with my hand back then. Um, but I transitioned into that. I, I put a lot of my focus in school and in tennis, uh, which I was later able to get a, a tennis scholarship to Franklin Pierce University, which definitely helped me, you know, pay for my education. Uh, while I was at Franklin Pierce, uh, I studied accounting and finance and my goal was to get out of school as fast as I possibly can with as little debt as possible so I could start working. So it was sophomore year. I created a plan on how I could graduate in two and a half years. So I I set up what was required. I got the necessary paperwork. And basically, I got approval to study at three different universities at the same time uh, from the dean so that I could...
0: You really didn't want to go to school, did you just want to finish? And- no,
1: I wanted to, I wanted to you know, make money and, and pay off whatever debt I had Fair. rather than keep paying towards yeah. it. And I always felt like my favorite type of experience was when I was working, not when I was like learning from someone. Gotcha. So figured out a way to get out. Ended up getting out you know, really early. I uh, was able to pay off my student loans because of jobs and because of my tennis business, which I had all throughout college. Uh, so I ended up paying student loans off basically two months after graduation, which was which was really a good kickstart uh, for you know for me to, to start my career off. Ended up going into investment banking um, for a company in Manchester, New Hampshire that specialized in telecommunications. That's what I always thought I wanted to do all throughout college, and I was kind of lying to myself a little bit because my heart was always in sales and working with people. So I, I didn't last too long there. I ended up transitioning into working for a, a healthcare uh, staffing and consulting firm called Medicus Healthcare Solutions in Wyndham, New Hampshire. And that was re- when I really started to dive into healthcare.
0: Hmm. So when was that? 2000- that?
1: That was back in 2015.
0: Okay.
1: I started there and I, I originally started in hospital medicine as a, as a sales rep. I worked my way into anesthesia. Uh So I was a business development executive so my job was to form relationships with hospitals and practice management organizations so that our recruiters could go and and put placements for anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists into their facilities and consulting services if it came to that. So that's where I really got my taste of healthcare um, and when I really started to notice how inefficient the recruiting and onboarding process is for healthcare professionals. So it was uh, it was interesting because while I was there, you know, it, you can only work so much in those situations because you're selling to healthcare administrators who, you know, they'll work on a certain uh, you know, hourly schedule. They won't necessarily be there super late sometimes. Sometimes they will. But so I also worked on getting a job at a startup while I was there. So I worked for a startup out in San Francisco called Go Go Hire, hmm. which was automating the sales professional Staffing process through an online marketplace. Uh, series A, Series B startups—they'd help them find sales reps. So I would go to work at Medicus, and then I would come home after that, and I would start uh, working for for GoGo Hire in the process, which really gave me my first taste
0: of startups. So did both for a while until... Were you in California at the time or did you... No, I I was still in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I worked remotely. So I'd get home, I'd hop on and and work. But I had a good relationship with the leadership team over there. Still very close with uh, the people I worked with. And uh, they were part of 500 startups. Um, They got in there. So it it was a good experience. And that's when I really started to get like the startup bug, right? And uh, I was at uh, Medicus for, for a little while when I decided to go off... On my own and and start as start block health originally as a healthcare recruiting firm with a little different focus going after the healthcare professionals first figuring out what they want and then finding the opportunities for them rather than the other the other way
0: uh, so you pivoted the company from healthcare recruiting firm to a network for providers and provider credential information yeah It's mine okay
1: so, so originally uh, the plan was always to be a healthcare technology startup. Mm-hmm. So when we were we, when we were starting out, we had initial traction. We had some clients, and then I I was the one that was doing all of the credentialing and helping them fill out these applications. So we we landed this contract and we had a couple providers set to work at this facility, and I had to try to get them licensed and credentialed in Massachusetts and we had i think it was 3 or 4 applicants at the time that were that got into this facility and because of credentialing delays and licensing delays all 3 or 4 bailed out of the process and, and the providers bailed out yes and rightfully so they they had to make you know they had to make income mm-hmm. and th- this process was already delayed for you know several weeks months and that's where i started building up scar tissue in this area and really diving into it and that is where we made the pivot to a full-on technology company, and we brought on uh, our, our CTO and, and my co-founder, um, Adrian, who has been a huge help. Really Tell me a little company. bit about
0: her background. I'm just curious. So she has
1: her her bachelor's and her master's from MIT. Uh, she's always been healthcare focused, um, very anti. Uh, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So she hates slow moving, uh, processes. Entrepreneurship uh, yeah, very, mentality. very entrepreneurial, uh, right. very technical and loves learning new technologies and solving problems that are very important.
0: Cool. So how did you first hear about blockchain technology? Because you know, block health, uh, mm-hmm. when you created the name was, was your intention to use blockchain initially? Strangely enough,
1: block was- health was not named, mm-hmm. uh, because of it wasn't named that way because of blockchain technology. So, our, our name is spelled D-L-O-C, and a block is a group of people that joined together, uh, to, joined together to solve a common purpose. And it was a couple of weeks after we actually named the company that we started learning about blockchain technology through this student. I don't even know how we got in contact with them at the time. And they were really passionate about, like, well, you know, like your use case could actually be perfect for this, like, you should really look into it and we started doing you know reading the white papers and watching videos and listening to some
0: podcasts and that's where you know we started to learn more interesting so when you first learned about it what was your impression of blockchain or did you think that did you hear about bitcoin before blockchain or was the blockchain technology for healthcare before cryptocurrencies or bitcoin for you yeah
1: i'm i'm a little embarrassed to say i was initially part of that Uh, you know, Ethereum, Bitcoin hype of, I think, 2017, where, uh, you know, everyone was investing in the technology, not even knowing what it was at the time because it just kept going up. Uh, I knew there was a problem with the prices of cryptocurrency at the time when I heard some kids talking at a coffee shop, like, you just buy this you know, cryptocurrency and it goes up, you make money. And I knew that was a problem when people <laughs> were talking like that about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, So it actually started as a cryptocurrency, learning about that, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then starting to dive more into, okay, what is like the use case of it? Because that's just, you know, that's not the, the technology
0: behind it. So what drives you um, to the healthcare industry? we kind of talked about that a little bit, but what's your, what's your vision, passion for uh, black health, would you say? Yeah,
1: I, I always tell people one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is the scar tissue of remembering when I had to fill out like paper applications and, and help these uh, medical staff
0: offices collect the necessary information to get someone credentialed. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What's the current process for a doctor to actually, you know, gain medical privileges in a hospital? So lots of paperwork. First, like step one, like break it down for me.
1: Okay. So step one is they'll, you know, they have to get a job opportunity.
0: So there's a, there's a job opening. Yep. There's a job opening and they can either go
1: through a recruiting firm or direct. And so let's say there's interest and they want to kickstart the credentialing process now. So they have to fill out an application, which chances are... They filled out many times before, just with different wording. Um, All credentialing applications are similar but different, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they have to fill out an application through the hospital. They have to fill out, often depending on the specialty, medical malpractice applications. Uh, All that has, like, it has very similar information than what the other applications have. Uh, Then they'll have to fill out Medicare applications, state Medicaid applications, update their CAQH profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's lots of paperwork. And then once that paperwork's all in, it's up to the medical staff professionals to go in and verify that that information is true. Even though chances are the facility before already verified that same information and things like, you know, your previous licenses, your work history, your affiliations, that's static information that doesn't change. So, they're verifying the same information over and over again. So in this process, once that information goes through, uh, the privileging process takes place. And the privileging process can take up to 120 days uh, because of how manual it is.
0: And that's a problem because? It's a problem for a few reasons. So
1: the longer it takes a professional to get credentialed and, and privilege into a facility, they're not, they're, you know, they can't get paid. So it's a loss of income for them. It's a loss of revenue for the facility every day that they're not working. And it affects access to care too, because if a you know provider's not getting into the hospital or healthcare facility in a timely manner, maybe there's a patient that's not being seen as fast as they could.
0: That, those are really great points, actually. Like you never know. It's like a brain surgeon that's awaiting, you know, to get hired, and there's a patient who needs brain surgery. And <laughs> It could be too late by the time they get hired, and all because of the delayed paperwork. Absolutely. Why is provider credentialing data a good use case for blockchain? So
1: this goes back to what I previously said about the static information. So a lot of this information is being verified over and over and over again, and it's it's information that will never change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the current processes that are in place, you have to go through that process of re-verifying it. Um, For instance, right, your education will never change, your licenses will never change, where you work last isn't going to change magically.
0: Um, Right, but like, I mean, one could argue, why can't that just be on a database, right, versus like a blockchain?
1: Yeah, and it really comes down to the immutability, like that audibility factor with blockchain, because um, one of the biggest things, it, it's it's trust-based. So when you look at, let, this is a good example, blockchain becomes so important in this space because if a healthcare professional worked at a certain facility 10 years ago and it closed down, mm-hmm. it, it becomes really tough to verify that that professional actually worked there. That's a really good point. So. I just talked to a professional the other day that was super excited by what we're building because he's like, I've been in the field for 22 years and I've had 44 work assignments. Hmm. Chances are, there's probably a facility in his history or a couple mm-hmm. that shut down. So, and then it, it becomes important too that you build that record as early as possible. Uh, it's just going to help healthcare professionals get into facilities faster.
0: Interesting. So, what problems exist for healthcare professionals in regard to provider credentialing? And I mean, like, I'm talking about the administrative people and people that are actually pulling. Uh, you mentioned a few, but anything else? As far as the medical staff professionals in the mm-hmm. facility, um,
1: you know, a medical staff professional they're best at the investigating piece, mm-hmm. and when they're having to re-verify all this information and collect information. That's another thing we're doing is helping with the collecting of information uh, on these applications. That's taking time away from more important issues that they should be dealing with. Not to say this isn't important, but it's it's tedious and it should be automated uh, or more automated than what it is currently today.
0: I totally agree. Um, and I you know I've t- actually interviewed two other guests who are also trying to leverage blockchain or distributed ledger technology in order to improve provider credentialing. It's a big problem. To me, I see it as an obvious use case. And it just one of those things that will take time for people to adopt just because there's so much, you know, they're just used to what they do now. It's really hard to change people's habits. Um, So that's comes to my, you know, that brings me to my next question, which is, regarding blockchain adoption and awareness in healthcare. So you've talked to a lot of folks over the last few months and years about this project. And, you know, what's your what's your perspective on what people think about blockchain in healthcare?
1: So you nailed it. It's one of the biggest questions we always get I'll, and I'll tell you the answer you, all, you often hear when you're talking with people and you mention blockchain and you mention what you're working on a lot of times people will say I think we we do that uh, when you, you know, when you talk about a blockchain uh, type platform which no they don't <laughs> and you'll, you'll talk to them and well we've always done things this way why would we change well what do you think of it well we're frustrated with it so why wouldn't you change like so it really comes down to, uh, and listen, there's a lot of questions still with the technology. We're still in the infancy here, and there's really not one proven blockchain out there right now that uh, could be the gold standard. There's there's a couple solid ones, uh, both public and private, but uh, it, it's really going to come down to more data coming out on. It. I mean, we we get told all the time, like, can you can you show us some data points on why this will speed up the process? No, we can show you like. Uh, we're getting those data points, but until that happens, no, we're not going to be able to show you those data points. So, more data points and um, more more adoption in the space; those those innovators coming forward within the healthcare community to test out the technology. That'll be important.
0: That's pretty interesting. They're requesting data points. So They want to see like pilots or use cases in the in the field that's actually happening, so they can like use that as a reference point.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll have. You know, because everyone makes claims on how the technology, like, it, it, we're, we're very, as humans, we're very, like, stat-driven. Like, okay, you say you can get credentialing done in X amount of days. Right. A lot of times people say a number, right? You mm-hmm. say a goal for a number and you have an idea on a number, but you really, you want to be able to show that data. So that's what's going to be important moving move forward.
0: Right. And the idea is the effort being put in by the staff or the provider of, they're basically repeating work that they've done before. That's the idea. You don't have to repeat that work. So what are the biggest barriers to adoption?
1: Uh, It's educating, uh, being able to, like you mentioned, change their mindset, also change the regulatory viewpoint on it. Um, It's still really new. Um, We're going to need the the government to get involved to, to kind of put their stamp of approval on it. But also here's, here's an important thing. We need to improve this space. Because what what happens whenever big industries like healthcare are having trouble with certain certain areas, it's only a matter of time before the government wants to try to get involved. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to improve this space, and this is the technology to do it. And every medical staff professional you talk to that has learned about the technology is all for it. Uh, it's just inc- you know uh, getting the other stakeholders on board to you know continuously try this technology.
0: What does it mean? When people say blockchain can provide more trust. So
1: blockchain-based transactions uh, help achieve greater transparency and traceability. So that it goes back to that immutable audit trail that we talked about. It's, it, it helps reduce fraud. So you know if you have someone uploading a CV and they put, originally when they started their career, Haverford. University, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they knew they weren't getting jobs over time. And all of a sudden it becomes Harvard University, right? So that they get more traction. So it's not being able to to change those records, um, you know, it, having a red flag when, when things like that come up.
0: Right. So let's use that as an example then. Uh, if like this fraudulent fake doctors are not fake doctor, but they're just changing their credentials to say Harvard versus, you know, any other school. Um, how would blockchain help with that? So what blockchain does is
1: it increases the trust and the provenance uh, of that data. So once a piece of data is written, it can't get lost or replaced with a photocopy mistake or whited out or redacted.
0: Um, so basically like Harvard University, would, would would they be part of the blockchain or would, would they, they be a node or something? Or would, at what point, do you need to verify that that person is actually a graduate of Harvard? Like in reality, are they, is, is a staff person going to call up Harvard at any point? They have to, right? Like yeah. the first person at least. Yeah.
1: So early on in the career, they kickstart that, right? You have to do that, but throughout their career. Right. right? I'm saying like oh, you have like a
0: 40, 45 year old doctor who can't find a job and all of a sudden says, I'm going to just change my resume to say Harvard. Right, they can do that now. If they did do that now, how? What's the process? Yeah, what's the process? Well, they're,
1: they're calling them up. They're pulling data from the primary source through uh, verifiable databases. Yeah. That. that so will how is the process right going to be
0: different now that blockchain is going to be involved?
1: It's it's more about getting that information quicker from the primary source. So a lot of times you'll have these approved databases that can pull that information and prove to you that you know so and so worked there. Uh, what we're working towards is uh, having. Uh, inviting these colleges and universities onto the platform um, right. so that uh, a candidate can request that document that come from the primary source. So, you know, a letter is coming from the facility, uh, from the university saying that you know, this candidate went to this school and then it's it's uploaded into their, their folder. Um, their and, block you
0: know, health folder. Yeah, right?
1: under their block health folder. Um, so, you know, and then we hash that that document and the hash is what's put on the blockchain. So we use a public blockchain right now. And so there's, there's no public information. It's just, you know, you're able to see the timestamp that that transaction took place and then the hash.
0: Right. And the parties that verified it, I guess. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, but you'll only know that if you know, if you know the identifying, um, like ID, (laughs) ID,
0: yeah. Hmm. So you said like you might have schools involved as part of the network.
1: Yeah. So we want to... Our, our goal is to really work with all the stakeholders. All the stakeholders. Right? Okay. Um,
0: Which, oops, so schools would be one. Other hospitals and clinics would be other another yep. party. Um, the provider themselves, Insurance payers. Insurance so payers. Okay.
1: Yep. Uh, you have the state license boards.
0: State license boards. Okay. Uh,
1: the, you know, the board of medicine, the board of nursing, those type of organizations.
0: Do you think those organizations... Have you spoken to them? Are they, are they, is it likely that they're interested in this type of um, network or platform?
1: Yeah, we, so we've, we've spoken with a few and we started speaking with, uh, with politicians as well um, that are, I mean, there's recently in Massachusetts, someone just brought a, a draft uh, for legislator, uh, legislation to, um, to the state trying to speed up the, process of credentialing and licensing in the state of Massachusetts, for instance. So there's definitely people out there that want to move forward with this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you call the board of nursing tomorrow, depending on who you speak with, uh, I mean, that could be a person that thinks their job's getting eliminated. So th- they're definitely tougher to, to get on board mm-hmm. um, than, than the healthcare professionals and the healthcare facilities, especially any dealing with the government in general, right? It's a more slower moving process. But um, the pain's big enough right now. I, this, is, this is my thought. I think we're going to see the most innovation that we've ever seen in healthcare in the next five to 10 years. And I agree. A, and a good agree. chunk of that too is because we're, we're kind of, there's a, a generation shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, millennials are starting to move into leadership roles within facilities. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the healthcare statistic on it, but I, every statistic that I've read is saying, I think in the next five to 10 years, the you know millennials are going to be 60 percent of the workforce and uh, you know this is a generation that is so used to doing everything in the palm of their hands and they don't want to wait like I can't imagine a millennia waiting 120 days to get a job you know to start work right yeah, to start sh- getting paid
0: and I'm sure the doctors that are graduating now they don't find it as difficult because they don't have much of a history anyway so it's not as cumbersome to get them credentialed. I'm assuming yeah. um does that make sense yeah no it makes sense versus like a 60- you know, or 50-year-old provider who might have like many years of history could take longer. How can blockchain improve data exchange efficiency? So when you say the data can move quicker, what does that mean?
1: By establishing a single source of trust. So it's just, it, now that's that's tricky to get to that point, but I mean, if you talk to any of these medical staff professionals, that's that's basically... Because uh, they've been talking about blockchain and like the National Association of Medical Staff Services, big medical staff organization, they've been talking about it for a little while now. Um, so everyone realizes that it's that single source of trust that's so important.
0: That's true. So that's the that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Everyone's like siloing their information in different places. So getting that single source of trust or, or truth is the goal here. Okay. Absolutely. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. SoftCare has made another important announcement in their effort to fix transportation problems for patients. They have signed a partnership with Uber Health, which is a subsidiary of Uber, the actual company that many people currently use for their transportation needs. And with this partnership, it gives them access to their North American ride-sharing fleet. This will enable SoftCare users to request a ride directly from the SoftCare wallet using a care card or Soft tokens. They already have a partnership with Lyft to enable the same feature, so you can say this company is really doubling down on transportation, which is a huge barrier that millions of patients in the United States experience. To learn more about SoftCare, listen to my episode with CEO Pradeep Goel on episode 28 also you should subscribe to robert miller's weekly newsletter beyond blocks that's where i found this article and it highlights the top blockchain healthcare stories every single week a link to the newsletter is in the show notes and now back to the show with jared taylor from block health so at the moment who are your company partners or any major customers that you have
1: so we we just finished up a a seed round of financing um we are finishing up our initial platform and we're in the process of demos and starting a pilot in the next month or so. Um, So I have been in discussions with uh, multiple partners that make sense for where our business is at today um, and should be announcing those uh, in the upcoming months. Um, But to date, we haven't released any information on that.
0: Okay. Can you share any information on the ones that you're talking with now or?
1: we're in late discussions with some, but I will yeah. tell you the partners that we are speaking with um, help the uh, flow of data into our application. So we haven't talked much about it, but one of the things I'm most proud of within our platform is our, our universal common application that we built. So our universal common application takes in conditional logic. So what happens today is if an applicant's filling out a 30-page application. Mm-hmm. They get every question. So if there's even a question like... Do you have any, you know, any dings on your exam? No, they won't word it that way uh, or on your, on your board certification. Yeah. Um, you'll have to answer, you know, yes or no. And if it's yes, please explain and upload a letter, you know, I'll any proof that you can, mm-hmm. you can give us. But if they don't have any uh, any problems with their board certification, they shouldn't even see that question. <laughs> because then you're seeing this massive application of information that's not even relevant to you, right? Mm-hmm. If you are a physician, you should see certain questions. If you're an advanced practitioner, you should see certain questions. You should not see the same questions, which typically exists today with many applications. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is we've taken a look at the CAQH application, uh, which is which is very popular in the space. They try to create a universal common app. Um, and then along with uh, 15 uh, uniform state applications as well, and we put it into a universal common application of our own that takes into account conditional logic and auto fills the parts of an application that there's already relevant data out there. So we're trying to get to a point where people don't type, they click. Hmm. We have the relevant answer choices and this provides for an easier mobile experience, which we're really excited about.
0: Wow. So it sounds like this platform is really geared towards the
1: providers. It is. And we're looking more towards, I mean, we just brought on our direct, uh, director of credentialing, Tiffany Long, who mm-hmm. actually ran a credentialing verification organization um, down in Virginia. And there was a big reason we brought her on board is her expertise on the kind of administration side of things. So that'll be the next steps for our platform as we you know, roll out these pilots is also taking a look at you know uh, answering their needs as well.
0: Cool. Congrats on the hire. That's great. Oh, news. yeah. Thank that's you.
1: Awesome. We're really excited to have her.
0: So can you explain to me how how you guys make money? What is Block Health's business model? So we're working
1: towards, as I mentioned, becoming certified by an organization called the NCQA, which is the National Committee for Quality Assurance. So that's like the gold standard for a CDO company. So... Becoming a CBO company will allow us, depending on the uh, certification that we get, to provide what's called delegated credentialing. So that will just help us speed up the process. So there are CBO companies that currently exist today. And uh, how we would make money is offering you know, those same services at a faster speed. Um, we would. So your typical CBO company has data come in reactively because they're doing the credentialing once the provider fills out all the information. With us, providers fill out an application before the process starts, so we have data proactively in in a one-click submit that can be repurposed through a smart uh, copy-paste, smart uh, application autofiller that we created uh, and match up with a facilities application. Um, so that that's the part where we really do help administration today. We help them kickstart it. So we're working towards becoming a CDO so that we can automate the whole process for them and help them go through that. And that's there's there's standard fees for becoming. You know, it's a subscription type service um, for the facility, and that differs depending on the size of. It's pretty cool. The I like that yeah.
0: idea. Can you describe your technology stack?
1: Sure. Uh, so our initial offering will be a cloud-based JavaScript and Ethereum-based product at the moment. We're using a tweak of the mean stack, so Mongo, DB, Express.js, Angular 7, and uh, Node.js to serve up our application. Our CTO also recommends Mocha for testing in Google Cloud products. It's been a clean process to secure and backup servers on the Google system, which is really important in the space where we're handling so much personal data on the provider side.
0: And I'm assuming that is HIPAA compliant or would it even have to be because no patients are involved? I'm just curious how that works.
1: Yeah, we're still uh, working towards, though, being compliant. I mean, it never hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use internal tools that, that are HIPAA compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, if whenever you're a data type company, right. uh, it, it, you need to be able to handle people's data. You're not going to be in business long. Right. So that's Absolutely.
0: that's a big priority. Security is a big priority for us. And... The privacy of providers and, and their information, uh, is that, how is that handled? Uh, so the provider gets to say who sees their data.
1: Okay. Um, so you know, if they don't share it with the facility, the facility doesn't see it. Um, you know, sometimes with like job boards and stuff, you'll, everyone can see what you, you have out there, um, unless you, like, you really clarify, right? So uh, they have to permission that to a certain facility, uh, you know, and, and their, their privacy is, is our top priority.
0: And you said you're, you know, you're currently building out the software, the product, building out your MVP. Um, when will that be available? So uh, we plan on
1: starting a a private beta mm-hmm. in like the next two to three weeks, actually. Wow. So probably after this airs, we'll be pretty much there. We're just making a few last minute adjustments
0: to the platform. Um, That's we, amazing. I mean, I know how hard it is to get a software ready for launch and. Uh, it's been a process, yeah. yeah. So,
1: and it'll it'll be interesting, right? Once it's once it's released, um, to to get the feedback and make the necessary adjustments, which inevitably there will be. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be an accomplishment for sure to get that out there.
0: Do you have your? Do you know who the beta testers are going to be yet? Or
1: uh, so we just we've done probably a couple demos in the last like week or two. Um and we will we, we sent over a proposal recently to start like a pilot mm-hmm. um with an organization for that. Um we haven't released any information on that yet, but um you know, we will once we have more results on how that went. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Yeah.
0: So um I have another question and I know you might not be able to answer it fully and your CTO might have a better answer for you, but do you know why you chose Ethereum versus, you know, maybe a permissioned blockchain or something like Hashgraph? Because I have another guest I interviewed who's using Hashgraph at Intiva Health and I'm just curious as to why you chose Ethereum.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're a, we're a small startup and we viewed Ethereum as, you know, they have a large developer network already. Mm-hmm. And we viewed it as a way to build trust in the space um, through, I'm not going to say, there, there's a lot of blockchains out there and there's still, uh, you know, yet, there's still, there's still a process going through to say like who the, who the chosen one is, sure. so to speak. Right. Yeah. But we felt really confident about the, you know, the development team behind Ethereum um, and our CTO can speak more to that, but we. We really liked it. Now we, we do want to take a look more into the, the scalability um, concerns that you know, they've right. been talking about. Convention. I know uh, the co-founder uh, Vitalik, was just talking about how they're looking into like Bitcoin Cash recently on mm-hmm. trying in the interim to speed up the scalability. Um, but for what we're doing, scalability is important. But you're not going to have you know a hundred thousand professionals needing to get something verified in a moment. Um, and what, if that, and if that problem is that, if you have that many on your platform, that's a good problem to have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, cause and it means you're doing something right.
0: Right. Maybe at that point too, there'll be some sort of scaling solution to it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, when we talked with, uh, when we talked with investors and we were going through the investing process, uh, capital raise process, we, we talked with them, you know, we're, we're very open to keeping our eye out for, um, what, what seems to be the clear cut winner. Um, for, for these uh, different blockchains, but right now for us, it's Ethereum.
0: So who do you consider to be your competitors? I have two in mind, but I'm just curious who you, what you think.
1: Yeah. I mean, so your, your two most recent guests, I would say uh, uh, ProCredX and uh, Antiva Health. Um, so I would say them just because, you know, blockchain credentialing, uh, same, same keywords, right? uh, similar market we're going after. It's, it's definitely a large, uh, market. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out It really come down to execution, mm-hmm. um, and building the, you know, the largest network. But then, I mean, you can also take a look at the uh, credentialing verification organizations that currently exist today. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, there's some big ones out there. Um, Many of which you know aren't even leveraging any type of blockchain technology. One of the things that I like too is, uh, as, as an initial benefit to our members, too, we also have a job board, which is something that you'll you'll see some competitors out there leverage that. Uh, but I think it's important to have that because credentialing like doesn't get kickstarted unless you're looking for a job and you find a job. That's true, yeah. So that's why we offered it up there. Uh, and then if you look at what these recruiting firms get, they'll get 15 to 30% markups on, you know, a uh, locum tenant or travel nurse provider's rate. So being able to offer them, you know, access to those same jobs at a, at, you know, without the high cost that they lose is important,
0: I think. Where do you pull your jobs? Or do people find your website and then they submit jobs to your website? So we... We just
1: built that feature in as well. Uh, So we have the ability to, you know, we can cross post people's jobs if they give us permission to do so. Um, Some of the organizations that we're talking with, as far as these demos and pilots go, um, we're trying to get them to cross post as well because we just want to help, you know, get them more applicants and get them more completed applicants because they'll have that credentialing application already filled
0: out. So what's your outlook for 2019 and beyond? So we talked about a little bit the next few weeks and months, but. For the rest of the year and then beyond that what are you thinking
1: yeah it's really just uh continuing to go through these demos and you know with the the pilot uh coming up getting the necessary feedback making those adjustments and you know keeping an eye on what the competition is doing for sure but i mean one of my favorite uh quotes from from uh, jeff bezos is you know, keep an eye on the competition, but like be super focused on the customer because that's what's going to matter. Mm-hmm. So being really, you know, obsessed with the healthcare professional experience and and the organization experience and trying to do right by them uh, will be really important for us. So I'm excited. It's really about building the best experience, both mobile and uh, desktop, for the the stakeholders that we're dealing with. Nice. Um, and, and trying not to chase the you know, shiny red ball because it, it's actually, it's always bouncing around, right? There's
0: always that opportunity to get distracted. Absolutely. Especially in the in this blockchain space, there seems to be like news every other day that changes the industry a little bit. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, were there any news or events that happened recently that you were surprised about? Uh, so not so much, um, you know,
1: uh, Adrian will we'll take a look at the blockchain news, even more so than I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, try to stay up to date or if she sees something, she'll send it over to me and I'll look into it. But there was a recent, uh, draft legislation to tackle healthcare costs. So in it included a section for, uh, requiring insurers to have provider directories up to date. So that's a good thing for you know our competitors and for us, because now it, there's an incentive or, or penalty, so to speak for these insurers, uh, to have that uh, provider data up to date, right. so they'll they'll need a platform like what we're building to do that because their current manual uh, processes aren't aren't cutting it today.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think um, there's a organization called the Synaptic Health Alliance actually that are they're also using the blockchain, and it's a consortium of like between seven to ten different uh, really large companies, I think some insurance companies, um, and they're trying to do that. They're trying to like use the blockchain to create a source, single source of truth for provider directories, so making sure that this doctor is working at this clinic at this address and they haven't moved and all and everything is up to date. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out too because it's not so much the...
1: So- Provider directories, they're, you know, they're a different beast altogether. But the hardest part is how do you incentivize healthcare professionals to continuously keep that data up to date? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just don't want to say, well, you know, it, it's not as simple as if you fill it out, we give you an Amazon gift card, right? Like the yeah. healthcare professionals are affluent individuals, mm-hmm. you know, a, a $20 Starbucks gift cards probably not going to cut it so you need to give them a true career benefit out of the platform
0: do you have any favorite blockchain projects out there
1: uh so i mean ethereum Mm -hmm. i mean always great hearing more about them uh our, our cto she knew i was coming on this podcast she told me to mention uh truffle js libraries as well and uh she she really you know takes a look at blockchain um and she plays double advocate because you know you'll I follow a couple people on LinkedIn alone and you either have people that love it or they, they hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that hate it can't really give you a reason why they hate it. I think they just hate the fact that it's uh, it's, it's very innovative and it has you know a lot of potential and they, they associate it with cryptocurrencies. Uh, I, I used to follow I haven't in a while. Um, I was following I mean obviously Bitcoin, but I was following um, uh, there was a medical chain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which was out, I think in in England.
0: Yep. Um, I interviewed those guys too, actually. Oh, great. I, yeah, I'll yeah. have to listen so, to that one too. Yeah.
1: Um, which was interesting. That was like when we were just starting to kind of map out our process, we heard about them and I think they were doing, I think they were leveraging a dual, I want to say they were leveraging Ethereum and the, Hyperledger
0: at like together. Sounds something. accurate. Um, this was, this like, was a while back. Yeah, yeah. This was about a year ago, actually. Um, I don't know the details. I think they're still doing well, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't followed up with them much. I used to be on... I was using Telegram a oh. lot for a while. Uh, you know, I still get updates, but uh, should, I'll have to
0: check out that podcast for you sure. You should join my Telegram uh, group chat, actually. I'm in. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> uh, do you have any favorite, like, business people or researchers' history or now? Uh, I mean, this is probably a generic
1: answer, but I'm a big fan of, of Jeff Bezos. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, I mean, what he's done at Amazon. I, I like the fact, I like his long term view. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think so much in entrepreneurship, which it's tricky, right? Because once you take investment from someone and you, you have eyes on you and you have to, like, you, you do these short term results are really important. But I just loved his ability and still his ability today to think really long term and not get you know, overly concerned with what's happening in the short term because he's already thinking, you know, several quarters ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to think outside the box and just be customer obsessed. I mean, I read his book. I mean, I was, I don't know if you've, if you've read, uh, There's, I forget the name of it, but at a young age, he wanted to, like, not sleep in a crib. So he, like, found tools and ended up learning how to break out of his crib. Like, really, so he's just, like, He's, I think he's a really cool guy. I uh, love what he's doing with Amazon and, and what he's done as an entrepreneur, Blue Origin, his other company. Um, so I'm a big fan.
0: Cool. Um, well, just finally, do you have any recommended resources or readings for the audience?
1: Uh, so, to,
0: to learn more about Block Health, we will be. Um,
1: Probably by the time this, this podcast airs, uh, we'll be launching a new website with more information. Uh, you can follow us on social media at BlockHealth, B-L-O-C Health. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with me, my email is just Jared, J-A-R-E-D, at B-L-O-C Health
0: Awesome. And I'll put that all that information in the show notes for the audience so they can find it easily. Great. All right, cool man thanks a lot appreciate your time yeah, today i think me. it was a pretty interesting conversation best of luck to you i think you have a long road ahead of you there's a lot of work to be done in this field so but there's a lot of opportunity too it's a big market big problem um and best of luck to you thanks, thanks so much appreciate it hey y'all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to health unchained on stitcher soundcloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me health unchained if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends your bosses your teams your students to listen and subscribe thank you